Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Why don't you open up to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And while you turn there, I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. Uh, We thank you for the privilege to be called into full-time ministry. Um, It's oftentimes a burden, but I think the privileges far outweigh uh, the burdens and the responsibilities. And so I pray for these next few minutes together. Would you, Holy Spirit, be speaking through me, really through all of us, even as we discuss and interact uh, to grow us up, to mature us, to conform us to the image of Christ, to taste and see your goodness, to be made into the men, the women, the ministers that you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, this is just going to be lessons learned in ministry. Um, so, that's what I, I was asked to do. That's what I'm going to try to do. So, the first one would be this. Christ is your Savior. He's your sanctifier. And He's your satisfier. So, in some sense, go, go to Him for everything. Christ is all. Christ has got to be the center I'm trying to make this uber practical. Some of it's going to be so practical, you're going to be like, it's overly basic, but maybe at least there'll be one thing that'll be helpful. This, this ought to go without saying, but I've been doing Camp Sergeant staff long enough to know that even though most people know it, not everybody does it, spend time alone with God every single day in the Word or prayer unless you're in a 24-hour coma. Other than that, I just can't think of any exception um, that if you're a Camp Sergeant staff person, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, it's part of your job, right? Uh, so if, if you wake up late and you got a bunch of other meetings, I'd rather you cancel one of your meetings so you have time with God. Then, now, if you're doing that every day, you need to go find another job, right? Uh, you can't say, well, I just had to stay at home till 11 a.m. this morning because I overslept again had to get time with God. But I'm just saying that should be your number one priority. View your time alone with the God, not primarily as ministry prep. That's something very dangerous and easy to slide into, right? I'm teaching Galatians in my Bible study at the fraternity house, so I'm going to do Galatians in my quiet time. That's not necessarily wrong. I would say it's dangerous because then it just turns into the only reason I'm waking up reading Galatians every morning is not for my own heart. It's thinking for the other people. Then I just kind of become some kind of weird conduit that doesn't really commune with the Lord. That's not good. Okay, have, have, I think it's best... I think it's ideal to be studying something, reading something, praying through something that you're not using in ministry. It's just for you, just for you and your walk with the Lord. It keeps you fresh. But you need to also be getting fed. I mean, in so much of what we're doing in campus ministries, we're feeding other people. But you need to make sure you're getting fed somewhere else. Now, again, I've been on campus church staff long enough, and the way we do ministry, and we partner with these churches, and sometimes there's these great campuses out in the middle of nowhere. And so we go there because it's this great campus, and we should go there. But we get there, and it's like, man, there ain't a great church in town. And so, you know, we're trying to be loving and humble, but we're going to some little small church that we'd never choose if, if you know, we lived in any other city. And we're like, I don't feel like I'm really getting fed here. Listen, don't be shocked. Welcome to life on planet Earth. Remember, biblically speaking, planet Earth is a war zone. So that would be like somebody in the front lines in Afghanistan saying, I can't find a hot shower around here anywhere. It's like, well, no, duh, dummy. You're in a war. So just because you're in some small backwoods town and there's not a great church, don't be shocked. Don't complain. Be mature enough to get fed somewhere else. 
Go to that church, love that church, serve that church, try to get as much of that church as you can. But then if you need to, you know, listen to a Tim Keller sermon every Sunday afternoon on your own to get fed somewhere else, that's a good, wise, mature practice. Okay, That was all point one. Uh, point two, have some kind of accountability, and I think it's best, again, inside and outside of campus outreach. I think it's ideal if staff people are doing accountability with other staff. But I also think it's best that you ought to have at least one person outside of campus outreach staff that you're talking to about everything, and here's the reason why. Almost certainly there will come a day when there's something going on in your life that for whatever reason, right or wrong, you won't feel comfortable sharing it with your other campus outreach staff people. Maybe because you think, if I share this, I might get fired, and you might. But I'm more worried about your soul than your employment. So I want you to have at least one person you're talking to about whatever's going on in your life. So have both, okay? Point three. Really, I mean, we know this, but it's so easy to say it and not really mean it. Your main, and really in some sense, at times, your exclusive motivation has to be for Christ's glory, Christ's honor. And part of that is Christ's smile on you. Christ's sense of saying to your soul, well done, good and faithful servant. So Galatians 6 Verse 7 through 10, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, but whatever a man sows, this he will also reap, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. I think it's very common for Camp Saturday staff to be out there plowing the ground and feeling like people aren't thanking me. My supporters aren't even, you know, sending me encouraging notes. Even my boss, he's not nice and warm enough. You know, the church, they don't appreciate me. The students don't appreciate me. Nobody appreciates me. I'm just going to take my toys and go home. Again, welcome to life on planet Earth. Now, am I saying there's never a right time and place to say to your boss, I really need some more encouragement? No, that's fine to do. But don't live off of that. Live off the fact that I'm doing this ultimately for Christ's glory. And if I persevere and sow into the Spirit in ministry-related endeavors, eventually I will reap. And part of that will please the Lord, and that ought to be my main goal. Verse 10, so then, while we have opportunities, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Every time you see an opportunity to serve, try to do it. And there's plenty of opportunities on the campus to serve people with the gospel, is there not? And do it for the long-term reward. Don't grow weary. Uh, flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 for just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you're probably familiar with this passage, but every time I read it, it doesn't matter even when I teach on it. it it's still so radical. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let's start in verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you. So essentially he's saying... I don't really care what you and the church at Corinth think about me. Okay? They, they were saying some bad stuff about him. He was frustrated. He was trying to correct it. But he's saying, at the end of the day, it really doesn't bother me that much. He says, or by any human court. I really don't care what anybody, even Peter and John, I don't care what they think about me. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Oh, excuse me. I skipped a verse. In fact, this is the real radical place. I do not even examine myself. Now, just Paul straight. I bet most of us know somebody or at some point we have said something to the effect of, you know what, I don't care about what those students think about me. But the reality is a lot of times we do, don't we? We come home dejected 
And if you stop and think objectively, you're like, why am I in such a bad mood? Because an 18-year-old rejected me. What's wrong with me? Why should I care what an 18-year-old thinks about me? But we can be so fragile in our identity in Christ that we get messed up. Okay? But then we say, no, no, I'm not going to worry about that. But then maybe, again, if our supporters, our friends, our family, maybe our church, our other co-workers, we don't feel like they're appreciating us, that can really rattle us. But someone's like, man, I don't care what anybody thinks. Now, we know people that say that, and then we're like, I don't know if he really means that. But maybe every once in a while you come across somebody, you're like, I really don't think that guy cares about what anybody thinks about him. I mean, Paul said it, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we can trust him. But this last phrase of verse 3 almost seems impossible. I do not even examine myself. He says, I don't even care what I think about myself. I mean, that almost seems wrong, right? It's like, well, you should, you should do some kind of evaluation, right, Paul? Now look at what he says in verse 4. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. So he's saying, of course I examine myself. Of course I have a conscience, and I try to decide, was that right or was that wrong? He's saying, and I'm not aware that I'm doing anything wrong, not that I'm sinlessly perfect, but in general I'm being faithful. Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. We could spend the whole time on this. We're not going to. But do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, of course my mind is always thinking, was that right, was that wrong, do I need to repent, do I need to keep pursuing this strategy? He said, but even when I think, hey, I'm on the right path, what he's saying is, I don't put the eggs of my hope in that basket of expectation that, well, I feel good about myself, so that's the end of the matter. He said, no, no, no. I may feel good about myself, but the end of the matter is when the Lord Jesus Christ speaks. And that's what I'm living for is on the last day for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So what does that do? What it does to your introspection, it makes it not so heavy. Because it's like, yeah, I'll do some introspection, but it's like at the end of the day, my introspection doesn't even really matter that much. Because my evaluation of myself, good or bad, isn't that important. The only verdict that matters is what's the Lord going to say on the last day. Does that make sense? Guys, if that sinks into the basement of your heart, it's nuclear how freeing it is. I'm going to do my best, but then I'm going to leave the results to the Lord and not worry about it. Okay? You've probably heard the story. It's a true story. I, I can't remember the name of the missionary that it actually happened to, but a missionary who had been serving, I think, the majority of his life in Africa. He was finally coming home, and I, I think he was coming home for good. Maybe he was just coming home on sabbatical. And he's, he, this is a long, long time ago. He's coming home on a ship. And as the ship is coming to the port, he sees like this huge parade and banners. And at first he starts to think, this is for me. And as he gets closer, he realizes it's not for me. The ship he was on, Theodore Roosevelt, the president, was also on that same ship. And he'd been on one of his hunting crusades in Africa. And he was coming home from just having killed a lion or something. And everybody there was welcoming him. And at first the missionary was kind of dejected. I've been giving my heart, soul, mind, and strength on the continent, you know, for like 20 years. I'm coming home. I don't get a parade. He just went over there and all this luxury killed a lion. But then somebody said to him, hey, this isn't your real homecoming. You're going to get a parade one day. And it's going to be a lot better than this one. L live for the coming parade. Okay, so that was all point three. Point four. In all things by prayer, Psalm 127, I won't even read the whole thing, but I love it, okay? 
Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. It doesn't say lay down the hammer and quit trying to build your ministry. But it just says as you work, do it through prayer, through dependence, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is where real power will come. Point five, if you are married or if you ever end up married, your spouse is your second priority in life. Your personal devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ is number one. And your spouse is your second priority in life. Not your ministry. And there's a great little book. I think it's called Good Christian, Bad Husband. And it it looks at different marriages like John Wesley and Charles Wesley. And the conclusion, and I believe it was written by a woman, but it's really good. The conclusion that she came to is this. When people basically started to think of their personal devotion and intimacy to Christ as exactly the same as their personal commitment and devotion to the ministry, it ruined their marriage. Because it's two separate things. All right, so, some of you even in sharing your little, it's like, well, I used to be on staff and now I'm not on staff. I'm, I'm, I'm part-time or I'm a nurse or I'm a teacher or whatever. That's good. If, if your ministry is your devotion to Christ, that's really bad for people that are leaving ministry, right? What are you, divorcing Jesus? Of course not. So when you're still on staff, you've got to remember, Jesus first, spouse second, and then ministry can come third. But you've got to have that priority. So let me, again, I want to go after really uh, practical stuff here for y'all. I was talking to young men's Bible study, and um, they were asking me some questions about marriage recently. And here's what I said. We, we have had seasons in our marriage with my job where literally I would see my wife on Monday morning, and then I really wouldn't see her again until Thursday night. And maybe that's because I was traveling out of town, but sometimes I might be in the same town, but just late nights on campus and kids' sports and all that. It's like we really didn't have a chance to talk and interact. And, and that would go on for months at a time. Now listen, I don't advise that, right? Don't, don't use this as a battering ram later in arguing with your spouse. Well, he said he didn't see his wife for four days. That's not why I'm sharing that. I'm sharing this to say, even in those seasons... There is a way to still feel very connected to your spouse, okay? And, and, and here it is, okay? Uh, have a date night every week. And it doesn't have to be some grand, nice $100 dinner with white tablecloths. It can just be 30 minutes away from the kids where you go get ice cream. And if you're like, we don't trust anybody to babysit our kids, please try to find one person you trust to babysit your kids, okay? <laughs> but if you, even if you're there, okay, for whatever reason, Put the kids to bed early. Threaten them within an inch of their life. Do not come out of this room, right? Or I'm going to severely hurt you. And then mom and dad sit on the couch and eat ice cream. And, and, and the goal of date night is just talk, laugh, joke, fun. Remember why you liked each other back in the old days, okay? At least have sex once a week, okay? Love to have sex a lot more, but at minimum, okay? There is something unique about sex that you shouldn't be doing with anybody else that bonds you together in a very unique and special way so at minimum have sex once a week okay but then third and this is really the key and this took me and my wife four years to get a good pattern of doing this spend time praying together now i know that there are people that they pray together every night before they go to sleep more power to them 
when me and my wife have tried this, what it turns into is my wife saying, I'm so tired putting her head on the pillow. And she's tired because she's been up early working and taking care of kids and doing her part-time job and all that. And I'm like, we got to pray. God bless the missionaries. And before I can say, you know, amen, she's snoring. I just be honest, I think that's worthless. Okay? So what we decided years ago was we're going after quality over quantity. And so it, it is varied as far as when and where it happened based on our kids and my schedule. What we're doing right now is Tuesdays for lunch. Tuesdays for lunch, my wife and I meet. We sit down, and this is not date night. This is not fun time. You, sometimes we call it a prayer date, a heart date, a spiritual date. Don't care what you call it. And what we do is it's like, how are you doing? How am I doing? How are we doing? How's that fight with your mom going? Are you mad at me about anything that I'm unaware of that now would be the time to tell me? And then we go sit in the car in the parking lot and we pray together. Five minutes, ten minutes max. But guys, I'm telling you, that has really become our favorite time of the week. And what we've noticed is when we're faithful in doing that, and we almost never miss. And if we do miss, we find a time to make it up later in the week. It permeates the rest of our relationship. It's easier to go in and out of spiritual conversation of substance and significance when we have that one set aside time does that make sense and I was just doing some counseling with a married couple recently and you know I don't remember the exact incident but you know the the wife was like he did something I'm hurt but I don't know exactly when to bring it up you know I mean you know at the kids ball game it's probably not the best time I'm like you're right it's probably not the best time and I was like have y'all been doing the prayer date like I talked about and they're like no I said well that's one practical reason to do the prayer date is then you just always know any stuff you feel like I got to download on his head it's like Tuesday at lunch bring it and you just come into that time knowing that's part of what it's for okay uh, and listen, you say, well, that sounds terrible. I don't want to have a Tuesday lunch rebuke session every week. You start doing a Tuesday lunch prayer date every week, what you'll find is there's a lot less stuff to rebuke each other for because you'll be walking so much more in conjunction with one another. Okay, point six. If you have kids, they're third. Okay? And, and here's what I'd say. When your little kids are young, do everything you can in your power to drop everything and get quantity and quality time with them. So when my kids were little, and if I was maybe working at the house studying for a Bible study or something, they'd come and say, hey, Dad, you want to play Legos? I'd say, I can't do it right now. Give me an hour, and I can come do it. And listen, it'd be really bad if I was one of those dads that's like, give me an hour, and then I'll do it, and then I forgot. I have a good I almost never forgot. I mean, I'm the kind of guy like set it one hour stopwatch on my phone like hey I just made a promise to my son I'm going to be there Okay, so I was pretty faithful show up dad you know the problem with that strategy is an hour later when I'm ready to play Legos his interests have changed I'm watching TV dad I don't want to watch I don't play Legos anymore you can't always drop everything I'm not saying have a child centered home but when you can drop stuff to get time with your kids when they're little do it talking to one of my great friends from high school just yesterday, and he was talking about how he, his youngest son is eight, and, he's, and he, this guy's a doctor, and he said, man, my eight-year-old wants to talk the most like at 9.30, laying in bed. And he wants to ask me all these deep spiritual questions. He's like, part of me loves it, part of me hates it, because I'm exhausted, you know? And I just told him, I said, hey, brother, I remember being there, and what I tell you is stay in that bed till you fall asleep. Because what I used to do with my kids is I'd lay down for about five minutes. I'd also kind of look at the watch like, okay, God, give me grace for five minutes. I'm going to try to be here, listen, love. And it's like, hey, baby, I love you. 
I'm tired, I gotta go to bed, or I got more work I gotta do, or I'm just exhausted mentally, I just wanna go watch Seinfeld, something. <laughs> My kids now are 22, about to graduate from college, 19, 17, and 15 year old baby girl, none of them want me to lay in the bed with them and talk at night anymore. And maybe my, one of my greatest regrets is I should have done it more. I was a fool. Make the most of that time. Seven, if you have staff under your care, that's what I'm talking about. If you don't have staff, if you just campus staff, so you're leading student leaders, mentor and care for your staff or your student leaders. And, and here's what I mean. Don't just think of them as ministry pawns in the strategic game of chess. Think of them as a real human being made in the image of God. Talk to them, listen to them, love them, ask them questions. You know, if you, the, the normal uh, way of a meeting ought to go something like this. This is not a legalistic have to, but this is kind of the norm. How you doing? How you doing personally? How's your walk with the Lord? How's your struggle with sin? How's your marriage? How's your family? And then, okay, now, now let's talk about ministry. Let's talk about your staff team and your students. And here's the thing. Again, you say, if I do that, every time I meet with somebody, it's just going to be a counseling appointment. We're never going to get to actually talk about ministry, which we're getting paid to do. Again, maybe in the early days. But if you persevere in that, your staff start getting so healthy that you show up and you're like, how's everything going? They're like, it's going amazing. Great. Let's talk about leading some students to Christ. won't always happen that way. But here's the other thing. When there is a crisis and you call and say, hey, I need you to drop everything and do something right now in beach project planning. And you've been loving and shepherding your staff well, they'll be happy to do it. We had a guy that was on our resource team. He's not with our, he's left staff now doing something else in the business world. But he even told me one time, kind of after he'd been on staff after a few years, because, you know, he told me just one day, and this guy didn't even directly report to me. I just kind of passed him in the office. And one day he starts talking about some marriage troubles. So I took he and his wife out the dinner and listened to his wife a lot and really tried to help and I think helped her with some stuff with her dad or something. And so for years after that, because of really that one or two or three conversation investment, if I ever had to call and said, man, I, I hate that I'm even asking you this, but I need a video like next week for my supporters and, you know, it's my fault. I should have told you something. He said, I'm happy to do it. He said, I'll work all weekend to get it done. And one time he later told me, he said, if other staff call me with the kind of request you do last minute sometimes, I'm like, no way. I'm not, I'm not working for that guy on a Saturday. He said, you call me and ask for something? He's like, I'm happy to do it. So th there is something here just pragmatic. Now, listen, if you're just like, hey, how is your wife? Remind me what her name is so that the guy will always do your video, they're going to smell it. But if there's a genuine love and compare, care and compassion, it will make the ministry better. And listen. If this staff guy has some secret sin or his marriage is going down the toilet, he may be able to persevere for a while on the campus and keep leading guys to Christ and all that, but eventually the cracks in the foundation are going to show up in the building and it's going to ruin the ministry. We know this, right? So all I'm trying to do is keep the foundation healthy so I can build, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, a skyscraper of ministry on the strong, Christ-centered foundation of this guy's life. Does that make sense? I had a good friend that I grew up in the ministry with, and in many ways, we were peers. We were kind of campus staff together, campus directors together, area directors together, and, man, we would do nights of prayer and family. I mean, we, we were both like these sold-out, you know, 
wanted to be like David Brainerd Jr. for Jesus kind of guys, right? And we're just doing all this stuff, and we both had big ministries. And one day he called me and he said, man, I woke up one day and I literally didn't want to get out of bed. And this is the kind of guy you'd be like, he's a workaholic. If he has a struggle, he ain't lazy. And he's like, and I didn't. I didn't get out of bed all day. He's like, something snapped on the inside. And I was like, what was it? You know? And he said, I, I really, he said, in some sense, I'd been going through the outward motions, had my Bible reading time every day. He said, but there was no real intimacy with Christ. And therefore, it's like I had this little tiny, fragile foundation in my heart, and I built a skyscraper of ministry on it, and it couldn't hold it, and one day it crumbled. And here's the thing, guys. When those kind of people go down, a lot of people get hurt. Right? We've seen it happen in the campus outreach world and the greater Christian world. You don't want to be one of those statistics. So let me make this really. And, and everything I'm going to say from this point on, if Stefan wants to trump me later, he's like, because this, this is more kind of my personal application. So if Stefan's like, hey, point eight A by Olin was really dumb. Ignore that one. He's allowed to do it, okay? So practically, I think if you're, this is more for the campus directors, okay? If you're a campus director, every week you should have an accountability meeting with your staff. Guys over here, girls over here. That's my personal preference, you know? You should have a prayer meeting for just your staff. Like, you show up for an hour, and it's not going to be planning. It's going to just be prayer. And then third, you get, obviously, you got to have a planning meeting. But what I see a lot of times is you just end up having a planning meeting or you end up having three planning meetings a week. But what I'm saying is I want you to have another time set aside just for our hearts. Let's talk. Let's pray for each other, accountability. And then have another time, let's pray for the ministry. Just, just like the, the power engine room of your ministry. Okay. That was all point seven. Here's point eight. Uh, always keep some evangelistic ministry going. I've been doing this 24 and a half years. I mean, technically, you know, I'm, I'm in this network kind of glorified consultant role where I just fly around and do stuff like this. But I still try to have a little bit of evangelistic ministry on the campus. So if you're like, but I pushed so hard for two years and I've led 12 people to Christ and... I met one Christian, so I got a 13-person D group even bigger than Jesus. Good for you. I still think you should always have some evangelistic ministry going on, even if it's tiny, even if it's just like one or two girls. Okay, but you keep it. Nine, have a target group, have a target group, have a target group. Go read John 1. Jesus had a target group. It was fishermen. They all knew each other, and they were in business together, and they, a lot of them came from the same hometown and were related to one another. Good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. Anytime you're trying to be more spiritual than Jesus, that's really bad. Okay? It, it just, how, how am I able to still have an evangelistic presence on campus at Sanford when I'm, I mean, next week I will be in the city of Birmingham for less than 24 hours. I'm going to meet with one of the Sigma News, though, because I've been having ministry at the Sigma New House for over 18 years. So it's easy. I mean, literally, it's like, I'm going to be in Birmingham. I'm going to fly back after this Monday morning, and i got to leave again earlier Tuesday morning. But it's like 2.30, I'm hanging out with one of the guys. If you have a target group, you can do that kind of stuff. If you don't, if you're just like, I'm just here for everybody, man, then the busier you get, it, it's not going to work. 
That's my humble opinion. Okay. Um, find the hungriest students to disciple. You know, we talk about how should you do selection. Who's the hungriest? I don't care if they're cool. I don't care about all that. Are they hungry? And a lot of times, how do you see hunger in them? It's the interaction. Right? If, if you're discipling some painful introvert, it's like a one-on-one ping-pong match. It is not fun. Find, find the people that are hungry. They're asking questions. They're initiating to you as much, if not more, as you're initiating to them. And try to load your discipleship groups with them. Okay. Um, point 11, if you're even trying to keep up with the outline. All right. Most of the time, small groups are better than one-on-one. Try to get people into small groups, not just one-on-one. Point 12, and this comes from Pastor Reader in Birmingham. He says, one-on-ones are for a reason and for a season. So there might be something going on with somebody in their life that for a season you say, let me pull you alone, get a lot of one-on-one. But the best kind of stuff happens in a small group, even the way that Greg has set up a lot of these meetings. It's like, hey, and teach for a little bit, but then let's interact and let's hear from each other. And some of you, I guarantee, are going to walk away from some of these meetings and somebody's going to say, what's the best thing you heard? And it's not going to be something I said. It's going to be something else that somebody else in the room said. And that's what will happen in the best discipleship groups. Thirteen, I think you should have a, you know, the best way to do a student leadership team is it's just student prayer time. If you want to do more stuff, they're helping plan the meeting, recruiting, great, do all that stuff. But don't neglect to have a student prayer time for revival. Right, for their friends to get saved. One of the best things you can teach them. Fourteen, use catalytic events to build and capitalize on your personal ministry. I mean, the best micro-ministries are woven into a macro-ministry. Again, even Jesus, when he started his discipleship group, he started it on the backs of John the Baptist movement of revival that was already happening. If Jesus Christ... saw it best to build his micro-ministry on the backs of a macro-ministry, who are we to think that we should do it differently? Now, here's what happens sometimes, especially for guys like me that get older. Or, you know, sometimes if somebody's targeting the football team, anybody here targeting a football team? Just one? Okay. Here's a danger that I've seen a lot of times. But football, some of the best, I mean, you go back in the annals of Camp Savage history, some of the best staff people of all time were college athletes, and specifically college football players. It's, it's one of the best uh, targets on campus because you're talking about 80 to 110 guys that grew up dreaming to be NFL players, and for most of them, it ain't going to happen, right? If you lead them to Jesus, then by senior year, they're like, I don't know what I need to do. You're like, well, go on staff camp's outreach. You're like, great. <laughs> okay? That's you? All right. See? I didn't know that, okay? But I'm just telling you. It's a great target. But here's the danger. With all the pressure on these athletes more and more at Division One and even Division Two schools to stay in town all summer, they can't go on beach project, things like that. Here's the danger. I'm not saying don't do ministry with football players. What happens is they can't really be connected to the movement. They're just connected to you, which is good, which is certainly better than nothing. But do everything you can, even just to get them to visit beach project for a week or whatever it is, because... There's so much that they can get out of the movement that will speed up the momentum and the power in their life. Okay? It will just go further and faster than you could ever do it. So uh, that's everything that I wanted to say. Um, let me pray. We'll do some Q&A. Father, hear our prayers. Make us into the people that you want us to be. 
Lord, if anything that I have said today is not practically helpful for the people listening, just help them forget it. But even if there's just one nugget of truth that could make their ministry more honoring to you and more fruitful in the kingdom, would you bless it in their mind and memory? In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.